This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. <laughs> oh! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Uh, you're going to have to bear with me this week. I'm a little sick. My voice is a little scraggly, uh, and I'm trying to push through it. But I am here, and I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm here with Michael Shapiro from SI Now. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. So let's go ahead and get into it. The Rockets have, to me, and I've told you this, become must-watch te- television. Like, their appointment viewing, I've watched every single one of their games twice now. Uh, I, I don't want to miss a second. If someone ties their shoe, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to rewind it. I'm going to take notes about it. Uh, they are, to me, the NBA's like most interesting thing right now because of just how different with, like, what they're doing right now is. Like, isn't it, small ball isn't unique. It's not new. But what the way the Rockets are going about it uh, is completely different. For example... When the Warriors did it, they obviously had Zaza Pachulia start games, and they had Andrew Bogut start games, and they had JaVale McGee off the bench. Like they, the at at its peak, Draymond Green was playing 500 minutes a season at center, and so far this season, PJ Tucker's already played 600 minutes this season at center, and there's 28 games left. Like that's just insane to me. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting point. Uh... And when Steve Kerr and the Warriors had the death lineup, they really did restrict it to only when they needed it. But Mike D'Antoni is really taking a different tack here and relying on it heavily. Um, but I really do think, at least in the regular season, it is a tack that's really going to work wonders for the Rockets uh, and really could help them rack up the regular season wins. Yeah, so let's go ahead and go, go over the early results here. So they're 6-2 and two since they went small, and they pretty much... Uh, Exerted uh, Isaiah Hardenstein out of the, out of the rotation, uh, and Clint Capella was down. Uh, they're two and two since the trade. I I think they've looked better. I agree. Uh, it's clearly benefited Russell Westbrook uh, since Houston went small. Westbrook's averaging thirty four point four points per game, seven point six rebounds per game, six point one assists per game, one point seven steals per game on fifty six percent true shooting. So the floor is spread. The lane is wide open. There's no big man clogging it up, and he's he's feasting. He's com- he's taking advantage of it, like exactly how you would picture it. The Rockets defensively look a little bit better. They're not all the way there yet. So uh, th- this number I'm about to read to you, uh, I I had to take away the Phoenix sample size from this because that was completely diluting and weighing down D- Houston's defensive metrics. Like they were like a 126 defensive rating in that game, and I just felt like that was an anomaly and it was good enough to take out. So since they started going to micro ball, they are 108.9. That's eighth in the NBA in that stretch. Now. That's not 
that much better than what the Rockets are right now. Like in terms of that that raw number, that's like 1.1 points per 100 possessions better than where they are defensively right now. But it's better. They look like they prefer playing this way better, like more. The, the, the switching is getting better. The communication is getting better. Robert Covington has been a godsend for them. Like he is just a freak. Like the, the amount of things he can do in one possession defensively is crazy. Like his his um his rotations are flawless. His communication is really good. His second burst, like after he. Uh, the initial jump's obviously pretty good. He's a he's a really good athlete, but the second burst, like just going up for a rebound, it's really really good. Uh, and like the Rockets haven't had an athlete at the wing position in some time now. Like even Trevor Ariza at his peak wasn't as athletic as Robert Covington, but yeah, he looks really good in Houston's lineup. And I mean, I I don't know. I I I think. I have a feeling they're going to be better defensively. I'm not sure how much better. Where do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I think that the defense is making strides and improvements. You know, I still wouldn't say that this is kind of a, a top-flight defense by any metric, but I think it's one that certainly can survive if it dedicates itself to doing so, right? And we've seen that the personnel and the turnovers that they've been able to force at 73 in the last four games, if this is an active and engaged defense, I think it's one that will be able to survive. Um, having said that, it's certainly something that where if the effort wanes over the last 30 games, we'll definitely see their results wane as well. So I think it's just largely an effort thing, but I think that the personnel to have an effective, albeit not a dominant defense, is there. Yeah, so I remember last season, the Rockets, um, they they started getting really better defensively towards the end of the season. Like They were one of the best defenses in the NBA in their last 30 to 40 games and as I was digging into the numbers I was finding that they were still really bad at defensive rebounding and what they were really doing is they were forcing a crap ton of turnovers which is really unorthodox to get a top flight defense like that's just not traditionally what you do but you know I asked around to see if this this was sustainable and and most people agreed with me like this is not you know a sustainable model model for defense and not only have the Rockets not only do the Rockets disagree with that sentiment they have doubled down on it and Mike D'Antoni uh whenever we mention offensive rebounds to him he just completely dismisses it he's like listen you guys need to stop reading offensive rebounds as a stat you need to look at second chance points and that's interesting because the Rockets don't view offensive rebounds as, as particularly hurting them they view like can you score on us twice in a row like like yeah you'll get the offensive rebound but can you score on us after that like that th- that's how they view this and it's i think that's fascinating <coughs> it's definitely bold i'm not again i i'm not even i'm not sure if it's sustainable they clear they're clearly more comfortable doing it i'm not sure if going all in on on this strategy is the long the best long-term solution but i'm not going to dismiss it i want to see like at least two more weeks of this before i make any definitive statement yeah and, and something i think that might be a bit of concern is in the postseason and with better teams, they tend to turn the ball over less. Uh, you know, you think that's really been a trend over the last 10 years, that turnovers have kind of really uh, been vanishing from the game as defenses and or as teams and offenses look to, you know, minimize them. The Rockets have forced a lot of them, uh, but I don't know if that's really in the playoffs where they'll be able to force 18 to 20 turnovers, you know, 15 to 20 turnovers even per game. I feel like that probably won't happen. Uh, so it's probably, in my opinion, the biggest reason for worry with this new kind of radical plan that they have. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, but I will say, over the last uh, nine or so games, <coughs> excuse me, 
They are first in opponents' turnovers per game. Uh, they're forcing nearly 17 per game. Uh, they're getting a ton of transition points. Like the switching in particular is is what's leading to these turnovers. It's not just them playing small. When they switch, they just get so many hands in the passing lanes. And Robert Covington's really helped with that because he he has go go gadget arms, and he helps with that. Uh, he helps with uh, getting in the lanes and, and and getting those getting hands on balls. And the 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 chemistry defensively between PJ Tucker and Robert Covington to me is really fascinating because they look like they were meant to play together. Honestly, like they just look so comfortable on that back end, uh, basically playing power forward and center respectively. And um, it's interesting that they're again doubling down on James Harden being able to defend bigs, and uh, same thing with Eric Gordon and Westbrook. Like they like they're they're really you know maximizing the stoutness of their players and and saying hey like the the reason we're doing this is because these guys are stellar at defending big men and nobody can score on us efficiently in the post like yeah sure you'll get you you'll get uh a size advantage in the post but is it really a size advantage if um if PJ Tucker and James Harden and Russell Westbrook have this crazy lower center of gravity, and it's you just can't move them; they're like rocks. Right, exactly. And, and Celtics head coach Brad Stevens goes and I actually compared them to linebackers, which I thought was kind of a acid funny comparison. But you're exactly right. I mean, the Rockets have honestly been goading teams into forcing the ball down low, whether it be Anthony Davis and the Lakers. And granted, Davis had a big night, but Rudy Gobert really had a tough time. As Utah just kept trying to feed the post, the Rockets, as you said, have a lot of very strong post defenders. Tucker is, of course, a brick wall. You know, Covington is, is more of a guy who's better at switching onto guards and switching onto centers, but he's still pretty effective. Um, and James Harden, frankly, is the best post defender in basketball. Uh, he's giving up 0.55 points per post of possession, which is astounding. Um, and he actually has faced the most post ups of any player this year. So. You know, you have the best post defender in basketball and James Harden, a guy who isn't really great defending one-on-one the perimeter. You know, I think it's something where you could expect the Rockets to continue to try to force teams to throw it down low and see if they can generate points that way. Yeah, it completely gets teams out of their offense. Like, they they stop running their traditional sets and like, okay, we have to take advantage of this, right? Like, there's a 6'5 guy guarding Rudy Gobert right now. He's He's got to throw him in the basket. And it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Post-ups in general have been efficient for a very long time. It's like .77 points per possession. And when you add in the fact that the Rockets are really, really freaking good at defending them, like, it, it's just, it just doesn't work. Like, it's, it's not a smart idea. But again, like, it's just a natural basketball thing to do and especially when you're turning the ball over like crazy when you try to move the ball so when you when you're when you're getting all these turnovers you're like okay let's slow it down let's isolate let's and when you when you isolate when when you post up that's just less efficient than um running your traditional offense but again teams can't run their traditional offenses because they're getting all these turnovers like it's 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 like it's a uh chicken or the egg thing Right, exactly. And I mean, I think it goes down to the Rockets formula that they've had for, you know, really a whole hard narrative. They'll trade threes for twos, and frankly, if teams are trying to post up to get their twos instead of driving to the lane, that's another benefit for the Rockets. So I think they are playing kind of a smart math game in their, you know, by going undersized. Uh, it still has a lot of questions whether or not they'll get bludgeoned in a seven-game series in the postseason, whether it be against the Lakers or Nikola Jokic in the Nuggets or something like that, but... Again, in the regular season, I think that this kind of small ball tactic is really going to help the Rockets rack up some wins uh, and potentially rise above that fifth spot in the Western Conference where they are right now. 
And what you just mentioned there to me is the strongest argument I've seen against what the Rockets are doing. When you get two weeks to game plan for them, and and you you get a you get a scheme, you get a watch, you get to prepare for their small ball units, and you get to come up with something maybe creative and out of the box, like Quinn Snyder using Rudy Gobert to guard Russell Westbrook. You know that didn't work, but like it was different and it was creative, and you you'd almost like to see what Quinn Snyder could do if he had an, another week to game plan for this kind of lineup, right? Like this is the kind of stuff that I find compelling because like. It is definitely a slap in the face to conventional norms. Like, like the Rockets are doing something completely out of the box. It's something that even the analytics community, like, they're not even ready to embrace this, right? Like, this is something that, <clears throat> like, even 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 the smartest of people, like, the like, okay, you have to at least have one seven footer, right? Like, that's just that's just you know that's the way basketball has been played for the last seventy years, and um, the Rockets are like, you know what? Screw that! Like, why do we have to play that way when we're so much better with that, with having that big man out of the lane, having Westbrook drive with all his space? And uh, let, let's talk about that for a minute. So Westbrook has been <clears throat> fantastic. I already read you the numbers at the top of the podcast, but. It's really interesting how he's just going at these uh, at these big men, and he's not even like he's not even afraid. Like when when Anthony Davis and Gobert are like are, are deciding to guard Westbrook because that's what Frank Vogel and Quint Snyder are telling them to do, he's still going at them because you're gonna, how are you going to guard him with when he has a head of steam going to the basket? You're already backed up at the rim, but he's. He's already there at the rim in like two seconds, and he's he's got all that momentum going that way. And if you're if you're just to the side a little bit wrong, like when like there was a possession in that Lakers game where he was helping, where um, Anthony Davis was helping out on James Harden, and he was just to the side a little bit, and Anthony Davis is spry enough to recover in time for that kind of stuff, and he, he and he recovered in time, and still Westbrook got an easy layup like right away, and that to me is really really interesting. Like if teams are going to keep trying to put their bigs on uh, on Westbrook as a countermeasure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Russ is going to lick his chops if he keeps getting bigs put at him where he can kind of track back and get a head start towards the rim. I mean, the number in the last eight games, uh, he's been dominant since the new year, but in his last eight games, he's averaging 36 points per game, shooting 52% from the field. Um, and Davis and Gobert really didn't defend him all that well. He frankly kind of bullied Gobert. Uh, and even rocked the baby on him after converting a layup at the rim, uh, I believe that was on Sunday. Um, and something about Russ, when he is flying to the pin, as you said, once he bumps a guy, gets him off their spot a little bit, regardless of their size, which he did to Gobert, he can then explode right up to the rim, which is, I think is a key thing for the Rockets. You know, he'll put his head down, uh, but then he has a lot of small kind of shimmies and shakes inside that really free him from the arms of defenders. Uh, and he's really just absolutely thriving without another big body in the paint right now. Yeah, and he stopped taking those threes, right? And that's also a big reason he's he's been more efficient. He's not taking like six to seven threes a game anymore. He's taking more like two or three. And that's been pretty significant because he's just taking those three possessions and going straight to the hoop uh, and converting because, again, he has all the space to work with, which is something no team has ever done before. No team's ever had a four-out unit for Westbrook, like ever. Like, even in Oklahoma City, like, yeah, they tried Jeremy Grant at center at points, but they didn't do that for 48 minutes a game, and that's what the Rockets are doing, and, and like, it's, it's 
provided so much space, so so much open room. Like like it's like where where you're you're getting the rim protector away from the basket, obviously. And even if you're the rim protector is guarding Westbrook, like it, he has no chance. He has absolutely no chance. Yeah, and I mean, you talked about the Oklahoma City days. So it was like not only was he often playing with his center, he was also also playing with Andre Roberson. So it was. Westbrook and two non-shooters on the floor, which essentially means you have three non-shooters on the floor. That's pretty unworkable. I mean, this has been so much better for for Westbrook coming here and being able to play, and you know, not only next to James Harden, but also in the system as well. And you know, frankly, he has played like an MVP, and I think it is certainly very satisfying for him. Uh, after so many people kind of had derided him and, and wrote him off, including Rockets fans, uh, over the past three years to kind of come back with this roaring performance over the last, say, month and a half has been incredibly impressive, and I think as Russ goes to Chicago, pretty darn satisfying. All right, we interrupt this podcast to bring you the betonline.ag take of the week. Betonline.ag is your online sportsbook expert. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a 50% off welcome bonus. This is a new segment that I'm bringing onto the show uh, to talk about any take I have on my mind about the Houston Rockets or the NBA in general and air my grievances on this podcast. This week it's going to be pre-recorded, but I feel like in the future it might be a better idea to have the guest weigh in on what they have to say on my take. But who cares? It's my podcast. I can do whatever the hell I want. But for this week, I'm going to have it just by myself pre-recorded and you'll be sliced into the podcast. So my take of the week this week is that I don't know if Microball will ever lead the Rockets to the promised land. And that's just a genuine opinion. I have no idea because I have never seen this before. And I feel like everybody on Twitter or on TV or on podcasts or on the radio shows feel like they need to get their opinions off right away. And you don't because you haven't seen anything like this before. Like this idea that the Warriors were the the first team to do this. Well, yeah, sure. They technically played Draymond Green at center for extended periods of time. But again, P.J. Tucker has already played more minutes at center than Draymond has for an entire season. And there's 28 games remaining. So this is truly a new and unique experience. And I just want to watch it play out before I make judgments about it. And I feel like everybody wants to have a take on it. And what if the correct answer is we have no idea right now? What if the correct answer is this is challenging everything we have learned about basketball over the past 70 years? And all of our preconceived notions about basketball need to be put to the side for a little bit because... This is what the Rockets are betting on. The Rockets are betting on winning with something completely unique. And not just that, winning at the highest levels with something the NBA has never seen before. I did not expect Daryl to trade Clint Capella at the trade deadline. I really didn't. I, I said it on this podcast. I said it in my trade deadline preview. I didn't expect the Rockets to make a major, major move. I thought the Rockets would you know, continue on with the status quo. I thought Nene would get traded. And I thought there was no way the Rockets would trade Capella for Robert Covington. There was no way. It was just too drastic. And they did it. And they have clearly made the organizational decision that small ball will lead them farther than anything they could have done with Capella. And that Russell Westbrook and James Harden need spacing for 48 minutes a game to truly be successful. And they could be right. I don't know. 
you know, defensively, there could be issues with bigger opponents. They haven't gone to a playoff series yet. How how am I supposed to know that? It's one of those things where I just wished we all stopped and paused for a minute and said, you know, we don't really know the answer yet. This is really interesting. This is something to, to discuss, but not necessarily have a concrete opinion about. And everybody seems to have a concrete opinion about how it won't work rather than how it might not work or how they don't know if it'll work. Sometimes the correct answer is no answer at all because we don't have the correct answer yet. And that is my betonline.ag take of the week. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% off welcome bonus at betonline.ag. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll bring it back next week. And we'll probably have the guests weigh in on it. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about our friends at Untuck It. Ever seen an Untuck button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that actually is designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Now, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I don't have the greatest build, and it's really hard for me to go shopping and find shirts that fit my shoulders, my length, all that stuff, and look good. And thankfully, all the shirts that I bought at Untuck It over the past year, they just look like they were designed to be worn for my specific body. You can do this on Untuck It's website. They have really easy drop-down menus that you can find your perfect shirts, and it's really great for someone like me who has a weird, weird body type. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or trying to craft your a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So let's go ahead and talk about the state of the team going into the All-Star break. So these numbers are according to Cleaning the Glass. They are 5th in offensive rating, 15th in defensive rating, 10th in net rating. Uh, they're expected to win around 49 and a half games based on these numbers. So you know, just a, basically a 50 win team flat. And to be brutally, brutally honest, like these are the numbers of a really good playoff team, but nowhere near a true championship contender. I think we both think they can get better offensively with the small ball unit. But that 15th in defensive rating mark sticks out to me as a glaring red flag. I, I've said it for months. That's just not good enough. Like at this moment, the Rockets are a titled contender in name only. Uh, they have to climb to at least 10th. And with 28 games remaining, that's got to happen fast. Uh, here's a question. Do, do we think they can get there? And how do you, how are you feeling about the state of the team right now? You know, you kind of you kind of stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, you have to be about a top third defense, a top 10 defense to really be able to finish the finals. Um, I would still have skepticism as if this team can really make a run to the finals. Perhaps this the bracket breaks correctly, and you know maybe the Lakers have to have you know, perhaps an injury or get knocked out. Um, I know Houston, you know, beat Los Angeles a few nights ago, but I think over a seven-game series, they would kind of get worked pretty easily. Um, right now, though, I, I think I would pick the Rockets as the third team in the West. You know, outside the two LA teams, if you're looking at Utah, Denver, and Houston, I just think that the way in which the Rockets have two true dynamic creators, I think, on their perimeter is something that Utah and Denver really, you know, don't really have. You know, I like Donovan Mitchell, but I don't think he's the late game scorer that either Westbrook or Harden are. Uh, in Denver, Nicole Jokic, of course, is magical, but I think they might run into problems creating on their perimeter. So I think the Rockets are kind of, in my opinion, slightly atop that second tier in the West uh, in terms of just this going into the postseason. 
but I think they are a significant step behind those Los Angeles teams. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I have them in that same grouping with Utah, Denver, and um, and every other team that's not the Lakers or Clippers. I think they're I think they're really good. Uh, I th- I think they still have another level to reach, uh, and the defense in particular is where they need to get better. And if they have if they have one thing going for them, it's their remaining strength of schedule. They are tw- they are twenty fourth in remaining strength of schedule right now. Their best opponents remaining are the Bucks, the Lakers, the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Clippers. And after that, it's like pretty it's pretty manageable. Like they 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 can put together a run post all-star break if their small ball units really starts to click a little bit i i don't know like honestly like i i don't know if houston can get to, to a top 10 defense I, I think they have the ability to now that they have found a style that suits them and they're bu- they're all buying in on it like that's that's the most important thing right like when pj tucker was asked after the utah game if the Rockets are going to keep, you know, trying to experiment with the small lineup, he's like, what experiment? This is like our real lineup. Like, this is like, this is what we're going to do from now on. This is our style of basketball. I think that's important. Like, that to me is the most important thing. Like, they they all believe from top to bottom in that organization and what they're doing. Yeah, I think there's, there's complete buy-in, I think, throughout their roster. I mean, you've seen uh, Harden be, you know, honestly more active defensively in the past few games than I think I've seen him really in a long, long time perhaps in his Rockets career. Westbrook, of course, is dialed in, and, and P.J. Tucker is a real leader who, who will never back down. I think any kind of um, malaise that kind of hung over the franchise last year uh, or even earlier in the season, to be completely honest, has kind of withered, and this team realizes that, A, they're pretty darn talented, B, they now have a system in place in which they can win. Uh, I, I don't think effort or buy-in will be a question. I just think, again, it's a matter of can their personnel, specifically defensively, hold up in a playoff series? I think that's massive dependent. I think that's still something that we need to, to see happen before I believe it. I'm with you. I, I think there's a chance. I think they're they're I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write them off because they have James Harden and any team with James Harden is just to me like you can't write them off. You can't. He's just too good. Yeah, I mean it's one of those things where like they have to figure out if they can continue to force these turnovers every night every night and if they can keep the rebounding battle equal like they, they're not going to win the rebounding battle they forfeited that if they can keep it like within three or four rebounds if, if, if they can only lose the rebounding battle by like four or five rebounds per game that's fine like as long as you're still winning that turnover battle night in night out as long as you're limiting second chance points I think you can get I think you can get there as a team defensively now the question is what is getting there for this team uh I I think you know the personnel on this team is pretty strong right now with with Covington, Tucker, uh, Eric Gordon, Rivers, like that, and you know they have some they have some pretty decent defenders on the team. Uh, as far as the front court is concerned, Harden and Westbrook have to buy in. Uh, you mentioned that Harden has looked a lot better since they went to switching. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, but he has to he has to stay there. Uh, the beginning of the season, he looked really rough defensively. There are still moments where he's just like. In particular, that that second, that fourth quarter in the in the Celtics game, like and where he was, he he had five fouls, and obviously he wasn't trying to pick up a sixth foul. He was just letting guys drive by him, and those moments are the kind of moments you want to limit. Like you want to make sure that's like because your front line defense is all you have. You don't have a back line defense anymore. So so Harden has to be at least engaged defensively, and I I realized that was a, a 
a, a picky moment and he only had five fouls, but the, he still has to limit those. He still has to move his feet. And that's the kind of stuff that uh, he has to cut out of his game completely. He, like, he, he needs to make that like a 10% kind of play instead of a 40% kind of play. Yeah, I agree with that. And frankly, he, as we said, he's an amazing post defender, obviously, but he, he honestly is a pretty poor perimeter one-on-one defender, uh, a little slow on his feet, and, and he will reach and not really move it, as he said. I think that's something that teams are going to try to do in the postseason, and we kind of saw it last year. Is, you know, he's such a dynamic scorer. You, can, If you try to exhaust him, perhaps a little bit on the defensive end, teams are going to continuously try to attack him on switches over and over again, because frankly, in some of the Rockets' best lineups, he's the weak league defender, right? You know, if you have Westbrook, Covington, Tucker, and say House, I mean, Harden's clearly the worst defender, so teams are going to be trying to attack, attack him in that space. Um, he doesn't have to be an all-defense guy, obviously. He doesn't even have to be necessarily very good. Uh, but as you said, just possible defense, you know, honestly, on the perimeter uh, is something that will go a long, long way. So let's end on this. By the trade deadline, they opened up two roster spots. And... It seemed pretty clear that the top end of the buyout market would be intriguing. Like Marvin Williams was a guy I thought would fit in f- seamlessly with the Rockets, but obviously he went to the Bucks, and now the buyout market looks pretty barren. Like I, I'm looking at it right now, and I I can't really come up with names. Like perhaps Courtney Lee is a guy for the Mavericks that you know he's he has he's kind of fell out, fell out of the rotation for the Mavs, but the Mavs are not a team traditionally that goes for buyouts. You know they're really good. They're trying to make the playoffs. You don't make buyouts when you're a team like that. But I mean, like I I, I can't find anybody else. Like I really honestly cannot find someone you know, a, a buyout candidate that comes to mind when you talk about filling out these these last roster spots. Have you given that a little bit of thought over the past uh, couple of weeks? I, I've, give, I've given it a passing thought. Can I give you two uninspiring options at center? Uh, Kyle O'Quinn and Bismack Biombo. Both of those guys, of course, Oof. don't move the needle. Don't make you, don't make you a title contender or anything like that. I think Bismack especially, I don't know if he'll get bought out. He's kind of a candidate, but he is, you know, a pretty athletic five, although he can't really do anything with the ball at all. O'Quinn is a little more nimble of a player. He's a little slower defensively. Uh, I don't think the Tristan Thompson thing's going to happen. I think the Knicks are going to keep Mo Harkless. Lee is a pretty good idea, I think. I think that's pretty smart. I don't think, like, Reggie Jackson is a guy who's going to come here. Uh, I don't think Evan Turner is going to get, like, bought out. It, it's a weak market. I think you're certainly right about that. What about Tyler Johnson? Does that interest you at all? It interests me, I guess, and I guess if the Rockets are going to keep doubling down, but I, they're, where is Tyler Johnson going to play in this rotation? He's, he's just he, there's like no minutes to be had uh, in that back line. Like you're pretty much only talking about a, a six, seven, or above player, and I, I'm looking at it, and I just, I, I just don't see it. Tristan Thompson, as you mentioned, would be an awesome option because he can switch everything defensively. He's someone I used to compare a young. Clint Capella to because of his ability to switch on perimeter players, but I mean I I don't think the I don't think he wants a buyout, uh, which is unfortunate because he he's going to get squeezed there behind Andre Drummond and Kevin Love. He's the third man out, and like he he could help a he could help a really good team, uh, and the Rockets could use his services he, even if they're going all in on small ball. Having Tristan Thompson waiting in the wings if you want to go big is would be a nice option, especially since he fits in with your scheme. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's honestly uh, one of the more underrated role men in the league as well. I know Houston's not playing much pick and roll anymore, but uh, he's very efficient rolling to the rim. And you remember back in those final series in the playoff series with LeBron, sometimes they would just throw it in the vicinity of the rim and Thompson would go down and finish it. But he'd be a great option. Uh, don't say the words Jeff Green to me. I'm not very interested. 
Um, it's it's a rough group. I, I don't know if there's anyone that the Rockets are really going to have that'll make an impact. I don't know if they'll add anyone at all. Um, I mean, I guess you would have to assume that someone will be brought on, but I don't think it's anyone that will kind of swing their, their playoff hopes here. I, I know that's a bit of an uninteresting answer, but it's just kind of the truth. I, I don't see there are any big additions on the horizon. Yeah, when you said Bismack Biombo, I cringed. Like I, I, I was squealing in my seat. Like, like the, it just made me so uncomfortable when you said Bismack Biombo. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, there, there's really nobody uh, on the buyout market right now that could really swing things for Houston. Um, and you know, unless a surprise shakes loose, I, we, it, I don't see anything shaking loose um, until you know late February and you know players have to be waived by March for to be playoff eligible right and so I I I don't see a player right now getting waived you know you never never know with these things but it it does look pretty barren I I think what the Rockets may do uh is use those two roster spots on some projects which might be interesting like you know they're they're out of a bunch of young players right like they they're just they they wait they used a lot of draft capital in that Westbrook trade and they traded another first round pick here in this Covington trade what they could use what they could do is use those two roster spots to you know take on some young players and you know perhaps use that as your filler first round pick for the year right like you go ahead and develop a young guy perhaps in the G League you can find someone nice or you know a guy at the end of a roster who's not getting playing time bring him into your system you know kind of like what they did with Kabokolo. Um, you know, bring in somebody as a project and you, and you know, you, someone, you know, is not going to help you this year, but you know, someone you can work on in with the Vipers and, uh, you know, at summer league this year, like that kind of a player. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly no harm in it. And and I don't assume that the Rockets will leave their spots empty. I mean, that, that would be kind of strange, but in terms of impact players or players who will even see playing time, um, there, there isn't really a guy who, who's popped up on my radar that I think will really, really fill the role. So, uh, bad news for the Rockets, I guess, is that reinforcements are unlikely to come. Here's some good news for the Rockets. They uh, face the number 24 schedule in terms of strength of schedule remaining. They're a break. They got a couple games with the Knicks. They got a couple Warriors games in there. You know, that's why I, I feel confident that Houston could, uh, I think they will rise to four. I think they could even rise to three. Two might be a stretch just based on Denver's success thus far, but I would be surprised if the Rockets aren't hosting a first-round series. Yeah, and here's the thing: like the Rockets are really good. They don't actually need enforcements. You know, they have Eric Gordon coming back. If that, you know, that's that's interesting. They have Eric Gordon coming back after the All Star break. Kabokolo comes back after the All Star break. I'm not sure if he'll really play, but backup center might be an int- intriguing option for him. Actually, like like the Rockets have already told him like he's going to play center. Like they they are internally they already told him like yeah you're gonna you're not playing any position not named center for us this season, uh, which would be really interesting. He's played a lot of you know big man minutes for Memphis. And he has uh, some training in that arena, so uh, it'll be interesting to get, to get a look at Kabokolo. But yeah, you're right. Like they're they're that they're done. That as far as roster moves goes, like they um, this is as complete of a roster as you're going to get going into the playoffs. And I, I I think they'll climb up to four, and I think that's probably where they'll end up like finishing. And I I, I don't I don't suspect that anyone gets bought out, but it'll be interesting to watch. Before and he said, you know, I've been watching centers for the last few months and seeing how they score and seeing how 
how they defend, especially in smaller units. So he seems confident he can do it. I think that Mike will certainly give him a shot. I know Mike doesn't, you know, love playing the youngsters that much, but I, I would be pretty surprised if Bruno doesn't get at least some cursory minutes when he's able to be back on the floor. Yeah, he's two weeks away from being two weeks away. So, yes. <laughs> Michael, where can we find all your work and so and follow you on Twitter? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at mshap2, uh, and then you can find my work on si.com slash NBA slash Rockets. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. You can subscribe to this podcast uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoy the show. Uh, And yeah, guys, good night.